Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. Well, today in the show, we're going to talk just a little about seed decisions for your farm, especially in regards to soybeans. If you've got any questions about that or anything that's happening on your farm, you can give us a call here, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You could also email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on X, AgPhD Media, Darren Hefty, or Brian Hefty. All right, so when it comes to deciding what seed to plant on the farm, most people are going to look at trials in their area, and that's perfectly fine. I don't have any issue with that. But what I would say is I get a little concerned if you say, I want to put the whole farm or most of the farm to one variety because it won my trial this year. Here's the thing. Varieties are very dependent on weather. All of them are. And we don't know if next year is going to be the same weather as this year. Well, let's just put it this way. Yeah, we do. We know it's not going to be exactly the same as this year. Is it going to be hotter or colder? I don't know. Is it going to be wetter or drier? I don't know. I really don't know if it's going to be an early frost or a late frost. I don't know if you're going to get in early and plant early or not. I I mean, that's the problem that I've got. If you start putting too much of your seed choice, I mean, too many acres into one seed variety. So we're just always going to encourage you to spread the risk a little bit, plant a few different varieties. So that's really the main thing that I wanted to start with leading off the show today. Well, there are just things that pop up each year, whether it be diseases or uh, weather challenges, those kinds of things that are that are really tough to predict. So you're right. Spreading your risk is important. But I would say like the way we look at corn hybrid selection, I look at soybeans the same way. If I have a history of brown stem rot on my farm, I can pick soybeans that have resistance to brown stem rot. And that's not a problem for me anymore. Does that mean I'm eliminating some good varieties that don't have that? Of course I am. But if that's one of the factors that, you know what, this one can take away a bunch of yield on my farm, I I have to pick that. Or maybe you say, you know what, white mold is a big issue in this particular field. I better plant a variety that has some tolerance to that. So there there are certain things like that you want to build around on the defensive side. Now, let's just say you've got top-end yield potential. There are quite a few beans in just about every trait package or even conventional beans that have got really nice top-end yield. If you eliminate all the things that are hurting you out in the field, you get your nutrients in balance, you eliminate compaction, you improve drainage, you have great soil health, all those things, you're going to have a lot of varieties that all can rise to the top and you aren't going to see a huge amount of separation. It's when you've got some of the challenges in your field, well, we're really short in K in here. We're just going to kind of nurse it along on this crop. Uh, Then there's going to be some separation between these varieties. What I'm more interested in is deciding two things. Number one, what trait package am I running with? And number two, what defensive package do I have to have? So for example, do I have cyst nematodes? Do I have sudden death syndrome? Do I have... Uh, maybe some other problem like iron deficiency chlorosis where the variety is going to make an enormous difference for me. So that's a big thing that I'm looking at. But going back to the trait, I'd just say it's pretty much extend flex or enlist. And between those two, that's like 90% of the acres in the United States today. But that's a big decision. 
do I want to go extend flex? Do I want to go enlist? And the good news here, like with extend flex, a lot of people have been concerned about spraying dicamba, but you know what? With extend flex, you don't have to spray dicamba anymore. You can spray Liberty. So that's really nice. No resistant weeds with Liberty, or at least almost no resistant weeds. And it's much, much less expensive than it was last year. It's even cheaper than dicamba now. So if I run out there with some glufosinate or Liberty, that's a pretty good way to go. And certainly that can be used in enlist crops as well. But I, I'm, I'm just saying here, if I'm looking at, okay, how am I going to decide what to plant? I first decide what trait, then I got to look at defensive package. And then after that, that's probably when I'm focused on yield and yield trials and things like that. Hey, here's one other thing to, to keep in mind. Do you own a seed company? Do you have control of the traits? You don't. And so you've got to be willing to uh, to make changes because you just don't know, hey, that variety that I liked, it's a few years old. Eventually, that seed company is going to move on. Or maybe it's in a platform that's going away. Like take extend soybean varieties, for example. I, I had one particular uh, group zero extend bean I heard from two different growers this year. Uh, up in northern Minnesota, eastern North Dakota, saying, wow, this extend bean is great. What's happening with that trait? Are they still going to continue offering that trait? You know, that that extend platform is still out there. There's a few varieties that, that are still being held on to by a number of companies in the industry, but no guarantee how long that's going to be. You look at the Liberty trait, there was a, a mid-group one Liberty Link soybean that was one of the best beans we had seen in iron deficiency chlorosis situations and growers just love that particular bean but unfortunately the whole trait went away the straight liberty link soybeans just aren't offered anymore and seed companies didn't have a choice on that so in the meantime if to brian's point if you're planting all that one variety and and maybe it was working for the most part or is working in the worst areas on your farm or something like that if you haven't tried anything else out to kind of try out what the replacements are going to be, you're in big trouble when they drop that variety. So I'd strongly encourage you to plant lots of different varieties on your farm for many reasons to spread your risk, but also to try out new candidates of, hey, I've got this particular issue on my farm. Maybe it's white mold. And you say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put some of these other beans out there in the white mold spots too, just to see if there's something else that's going to be better that I can switch to going forward. All right, so there are a lot of things to talk about when it comes to soybean decision, soybean seed decisions. And let's say you don't raise soybeans. You're probably going, well, why would I listen today to the show? Look, a lot of the same things you need to think through with soybean seed choices, it's the same stuff you got to talk about with corn, with wheat, with any crop out there. So we're going to talk a little about traits. We're going to think about defensive traits. We're going to look at all right herbicides and all these different factors that enter into it. And then obviously too, we got to talk about germination scores, vigor, everything else that's really important whenever you're picking any kind of seeds. So we'll talk soybean seed decisions right after this. My mom's got a new case IH tractor and it can do it all. Bail hay all day. See in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Ship like a race car? Steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her Case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out caseih.com. 
It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. What does it really mean to provide the best crop nutrition? With AgroLiquid, you're getting a one-of-a-kind approach, one that caters to your specific agronomic needs. You're getting a crop nutrition plan that maximizes your fertilizer applications from every drop, all while accounting for your management practices and the products you're already using. But it's not just a product. It's peace of mind, knowing we've thought of everything. That's the AgroLiquid way. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Listening to Ag PhD Radio, talking soybean seed decisions on today's program, and taking your calls and questions as well at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can always email us radio at agphd.com. Let's head out to North Carolina. Got Doug Little with us right now with BASF uh, to talk a little about soybean seed decisions. Doug, how you doing? Hey, great. Thanks for the call. No, doing well down here in North Carolina. You know, when we look at soybeans, uh, a lot of folks don't realize how much work BSF is doing uh, in, in development in the background, and uh, it, it really makes a difference. I'm really excited about some of the new things that you've got coming. You've got a, a pretty uh, extensive pipeline and a lot of collaborations with other companies. Uh, what are you focused on uh, right now, and, and how soon are some of these pipeline things going to be reality? Yeah, no, thanks for asking. Uh, the reality is just around the corner. We're focusing on our own germplasm, a BSF-developed germplasm, which is new and exciting because, uh, you know, traditionally, uh, you know, soybean breeding has taken place. There's only been about six companies that have been breeding soybeans over the course of the years, and a lot of products are the same in the bag from a genetic standpoint. But going forward in 2025, uh, we'll have our own BSF-developed um, germplasm to work on, and then you couple that with our um, Zetabo trait uh, lineup with Enlist E3, and then in the future, our new SCN trait uh, will be coming out in 2028. Yeah, it's it's a little ways off yet, but that is exciting. Yeah. Uh, soybean cyst nematode robs a ton of yield. I mean, we're talking a billion-dollar bug here, so uh, that that's a big deal for growers. Uh, you know, when you look at, at uh, developing germplasm, uh, that, that isn't something that happens overnight. There's an awful, an awful lot of work that goes into that. And, and certainly, like you say, you've got the uh, Enlist E3 platform uh, with Zotavo. But um, talk to us about that germplasm a little bit. What are some of the things, what are some of the goals that you've got with this? Obviously, high yield is one of them, but uh, there's a lot more than just yield that goes into the bag. Yeah, it certainly is. Um, we're looking for products that perform 
across a, a multitude of different field types. And I think the key one is just understanding the characteristics that's involved in each one of the products or the germplasm products we've got coming. And each of the characteristics perform differently. So we, we use a formula we call G by E by M, which is the genetics, um, and then the environment, and then the management. And what we're really focusing on now into the future with our own um, germplasm is to really identify the characteristics of that germplasm early and get predictability of where that plant will perform the best in the field. And so um, getting the information from our breeders and then taking it to um, an algorithm that we have developed with a partner that will really help us identify the best placement for that, genet that new product coming so that the grower and the producer can maximize the yield every time they put in that product in the ground. Talk to us about the timeline here. How many years does it take as soybean varieties are being developed? Yeah, so that's, it's, it's typically seven to ten years um, when you have to really first find the, the, the germplasm you want, and then you got to ramp it up in production and take it across the, down to the counter season and back and forth a number of years to get the, the actual foundation that you need. And then, uh, and then finally get into commercial bags. So we're we're looking at seven to ten years from, from the initial onset to, to where we are today. You know, you look at at the new soybean cyst nematode trait that's coming from BASF. Uh, hopefully, twenty twenty eight it'll be here. Uh, you've already got some of that in this new germplasm that's coming. Uh, what do you see with that, Doug? What what kind of difference does it make for? I mean, really, about everywhere soybeans are grown, we have a nematode issue. Right. Well, you know, traditionally it's been the native traits and then now seed treatments with BSF as the leader in that, of course. Uh, but now you bring in the, the new um, uh, resistant trait that we've got developed. Um, it, it's going to add an additional three to five bushel uh, per acre uh, just in those areas where there's a low pressure and, and, you know, certainly more when there's heavy pressure. But I think what's going to be unique about it is it's such a silent disease, right? A pest, people don't know they have it. So you, you'll have it in fields where you didn't think you had a yield problem. You're going to see three to five bushel yield bump right away. Yeah, we strongly encourage if you haven't pulled soybean cyst nematode tests on your farm as you're out pulling soil tests or if you want to just make a special trip just to pull tests for soybean cyst nematode, pull some samples, get the counts, understand where you're at on your farm. That's the best way to, to understand this and to start managing going forward. You, you had a great point there, Doug. I mean, if you've got kind of low to moderate pressure, it's probably still enough that you need to be doing something. But if you've got extreme heavy pressure, I wouldn't rely on any of these one um, shots at this, whether it be a native trait or a seed treatment or, or even this new trait coming. I, I would be doing multiple things just like we are on on corn rootworm or fighting pigweed or or all these challenges that we've got use the tools that are available for you so we can keep the best tools around the longest uh doug it's really exciting what's going on really exciting what's going on at bsf really look forward to to seeing the new germplasm coming out in 2025 and thank you for the time today all right thanks for having us and uh, good luck to everyone on harvest you bet uh, speaking of harvest, got our friend Kevin Matthews on. He farms down in North Carolina and works with the Extreme Ag Group. Kevin, thanks for joining us. Yes, sir. Glad to be here. Busy, busy time of year. How are things going on the farm? Uh, we're cutting some soybean plots today, actually fertility plots for agri-liquids, and then some variety plots for Pioneer today. 
Yeah, lots of research that goes into things, and that's something that's always been impressive about your farm operation, that you like trying different things out to try to understand what's out there on the market, what can I do to get high yields. When it comes to picking soybean varieties, obviously each year is different, and uh, it's rare to find products that are always going to be the best every single year. So you're you're planting multiple plots, especially with all the different soil types that you guys farm. Uh, how do you go about looking for that with all the, the varying conditions, whether it be weather or soil or fertility that you've got across the farm? Yeah, well, you know, on-farm test is where it starts, just as we're here today. We're, you know, we got group threes through six maturity soybeans here for, you know, our for us to look at and our neighbors to see how they result uh, and yield and withstand uh, our heat, our disease. And, uh, you know, that's a that's a big player. And then we do a lot of large acres. I mean, these plots that we're doing today, there'll be three acres cut out of a 10-acre plot. And um, that really gets you more in tune with what varieties is going to work better for you. Yeah, you're right, because you have just little strips, and, and we'll do this too sometimes just to have a little show plot along the road or something like that. Uh, but but you only learn so much if you've got some variability in that soil across the field. You really need a little bit longer strip. A lot of guys will say they need a, a half-mile strip, you know, big, long rounds out here in the Dakotas, but uh, you got a few things like trees and those kinds of things, Kevin. Ah, uh, Lord, we'll wear we'll wear a set of tie rods and a steering wheel out out here compared to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's different depending on where you're at, but it's kind of neat too with some of the crop rotations that you have, and you think about all the different crops growers are are putting in, and you guys put in on your farm. That can make a difference too on how these varieties perform. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you've got to you got to see what's resistant. Uh, you know, he's just talking about nematodes. Nematodes is a kind of a silent yield killer most of us think we ain't got problems and lots you know the thing with nematodes is you can pull a sample out of this row and move over two rows and one side's got threshold the other side shows nothing and then you're like well should I treat not treat do I really need this type of seed but um, we like to play the defensive route we want to get as much defense as we can because we feel like we're going to have plenty of uncontrollable things that happen throughout the growing season. So choosing a very defensive seed variety uh, for your environment is something we can control. And um, it's just kind of sad when it's not taken advantage of. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, I do like to, one of the things you said just to start off, and it doesn't necessarily have a lot to do with soybean seed varieties, but trying out different fertility programs. And I know you do a lot of management in crop with fungicides and other things. Trying your management practices out is going to identify the best varieties for your farm. And, you know, we're listening to Kevin Matthews here. He works with the Extreme Ag Group, shares his information with other farmers literally around the world because uh, he's always doing trial work on the farm. I think it starts with those on-farm trials and understanding how your own management practices are going to in, are going to affect these decisions. Kevin, thank you so much. I know you're super busy. Really appreciate you taking a minute to talk to us today. Yes, sir. My pleasure. Thank you for all you guys do for agriculture. You bet. We're talking soybean seed decisions on today's show. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. It changes everything. So says Indiana corn grower Nathan Davis about innovative Zyway LFR fungicide from FMC. 
Zyway brand fungicides are the first and only at-plant corn fungicides to provide unprecedented, season-long, inside-out foliar disease protection. Discover more grower and retailer success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. Growing up on the farm, I woke up as early as mom and dad. I put as many hours on the tractor, changed as many teeth on the tiller as my brothers. It doesn't matter if you're young or old, man or woman. When there's work to be done, you put your boots on and you do it. I do that on my farm and in my job at Case IH. My name is Kelsey, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Insects have reigned since the dawn of time. Adapted to their surroundings, experience the harshest climates and toughest challenges until now. With two modes of action, Ridgeback Insecticide delivers one devastating outcome for soybean aphids, extinction from your fields. They may have lived through it all, but they won't survive this. End soybean aphids reign at ridgeback.corteva.us. Effortlessly manage your farm fertility with Verify. Verify takes yield data directly from your combine and instantly generates variable rate fertility maps based on your nutritional goals. Whether it's building soil, balancing nutrition, or maintaining fertility. And with full integration with John Deere Operations Center, Verify can send recommendations directly to application equipment, no matter the color. Join Verify today at Verify.com and keep your farm moving. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Waterhemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of Fierce Herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. When nematode pressure mounts, seed-applied Trunemco provides assurance. Growers using Trunemco are seeing a difference from early plant vigor to improved soybean and cotton yield. Impressive results are everywhere, and we want to hear about yours. You could win $20,000 and be named a Trunemco Elite Grower. Don't delay. Contest ends October 31st. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. See full rules. Learn more at newfarm.com USST. listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio, talking about soybean seed decisions. Yes, I know, your seed dealer's probably out hounding you already. Hey, let's get an order on the books. Let's let's plan out next year, and you're trying to finish up harvest here and, and make some decisions based on what your yields are and what some of your on-farm trial work shows. That is important. It's important to take those things into, into account. It's also important to get the best deal you can. Uh, oftentimes seed dealers are good enough to allow you to switch varieties. And if you can switch varieties, well, that, that sure frees you up to order pretty much any time during, during the growing season, whenever you can maximize your cash discounts and so forth. Uh, so when you look at which variety you're going to plant in your farm, we're encouraging you to plant multiple varieties to spread your risk out. But we're also getting some other input here from other folks in the industry and around. Uh, we've got Jeremy Ross with us right now with the University of Arkansas to talk a little about soybean seed. Jeremy, how you doing? 
Doing pretty good. How are y'all doing? Good, good. I think it's interesting. Uh, sometimes people say, okay, talk to me about conventional seed. And I'm thinking, man, not that long ago, that was just soybeans. And <laughs> now it's, uh, we have this trait and that trait and, and lots of different things going on in beans. And it's kind of exciting to have choices. Uh, it is, but, you know, variety selections, you know, probably the most difficult decision that, you know, farmers are going to make. And, and I'm starting to get those questions, you know, right now, you know, and we're still in the process of trying to get variety tests uh, harvested and trying to get data put together. But, you know, I, you mentioned, you know, booking seed. I've already had a couple of uh, seed companies uh, send me emails saying they needed, you know, research seed book, you know, here in the next week or so. So not only are farmers having to deal with uh, this situation right now, but, you know, researchers are as well. That is interesting. I have never thought about that, Jeremy, that, yeah, the companies are after you of, hey, speak for what you're going to need for the plots uh, really soon before we sell it or, or bag it up and, and give it to somebody else. Uh, you know, it is it is tough. And processing that data is a challenge. I, I think, you know, we can get the combine through the field, but then actually figuring out uh, how things turned out, especially when you're doing a lot of replicated trials and, and trials at multiple locations like you do, uh, it, I don't envy you. Well, it is a, a struggle, and, you know, we, we do the best we can to get the data out as quick as we can, but, you know, when you're looking at, you know, 11 different locations and, you know, 150, 200 different varieties with multiple data points, it just, it takes a while just to, to process all that data and make sure that a line doesn't get deleted or something like that and kind of mess up the whole database, but it, it's a it's a struggle this time of year trying to get it out as quick as we can but you know i think we do a really good job with you know really trying to get as much information to the growers and in their hands to make those variety decisions you know on a farm level none of us are going to do uh, 200 varieties in 11 locations so <laughs> we can't we can't ever compete but you know we do like to try and narrow it down a little bit and say okay let's try out five or ten varieties here let's do some comparisons on some different soil types and and you're doing that on a much bigger scale um, you know the need to do testing every year is certainly there and one of the reasons is we just don't see consistency where okay variety a is going to win every situation every soil type every Every year, all the weather conditions, uh, growers looking for more than just one variety. We, we've got to find a few different ones as we go across the farm. That that adds to the complication a little bit, too. It does. And, you know, you know the, we, we again, we try to give as much information, you know, about varieties on different soil textures and different environmental conditions. But, you know, I, I tell farmers, you know, look at our data, look at company data, and then, you know, pick five, six, ten varieties that you put on your farm because, you know, data that comes from your farm in your conditions is the best data you can get. And so I'm, I've really been encouraging, you know, farmers to work with some of these seed companies, you know, actually just go out and, and get a couple of bags of different varieties and put them on your farm in your conditions just to kind of give you a little bit better idea of, you know, how some of these varieties are, are going to perform because, you know, it, you're right, you know, not there's not a single variety that's going to perform well across multiple environments and, you know, soil textures and, you know, disease pressure and, and chloride problems and different things like that. So, you know, it, it is a big decision and, and it takes a little bit of work, but, you know, 
if, if you do your homework, I think you can pick some varieties that are going to perform well on individual fields. I know in the state of Arkansas, you've got your own unique set of challenges there, one of them being root-knot nematode that we don't have to fight in the upper Midwest where I'm at. Uh, but are you finding more varieties with root-knot protection? Or, or what do you see? I mean, what are some of these unique challenges you guys have that you're studying that other places may not be? So, so root-knot nematodes is, is probably becoming the number one problem that that we're starting to, to see in, in different locations across the state. Not everywhere has root knot problems, but, you know, we are starting to see it kind of grow. And I actually uh, talked to a farmer uh, last week that, you know, he, he, he thought he had a field that he didn't have a problem in, you know, last year, and then all of a sudden, you know, he's got root knot problems. So, you know, moving it on, you know, equipment and, you know, different things like that, you know, I, I think there's probably more issues with root knot that we that we really haven't diagnosed. You know, there's probably fields out there that we just haven't really uh, addressed, you know, the problem. Uh, the good thing is, you know, our Soybean Promotion Board is actually paying for, you know, Arkansas growers to have, you know, nematode tests done uh, to, to realize, you know, to figure out if you do have a problem. Uh, but when it comes to varieties, you know, that that's kind of the bottleneck is because, you know, we just don't have a, a tremendous number of, of varieties that have resistance. Um, you know, there's there's some across multiple companies that, that do well in, in nematode issues. But, uh, you know, when, when you are dealing with a nematode problem, especially root knot, the, the variety selection just gets really, you know, pretty small pretty quick. And then if you add other different things, you know, if you have, you know, chloride problems like we have in some parts of the state, you know, that makes it even more difficult on selecting varieties because you're getting kind of two two different problems going on in the same field. So, uh, but, you know, we, we really kind of address those nematode issues and, and try to use the varieties we do have available. But, you know, for years I've been telling, you know, seed companies that, hey, we need, we need more, you know, nematode-resistant varieties and more you know, excluder varieties to combat some of the salt problems that we're seeing here in Arkansas, along with, you know, some of the other states here in the Mid-South. Yeah, there are a lot of challenges that we face out in the fields trying to raise soybeans. Uh, it takes a lot of research to figure out uh, which one, which solutions are going to work the best. We're talking with Jeremy Ross down at the University of Arkansas. Jeremy, I know it's super busy. Uh, like you say, you're getting hounded by the seed companies as well, not only for data, but for next year's order at the same time. And in the meantime, you got a whole bunch of plots to get out to. Good luck to everybody on your staff down there. Stay safe this harvest season. I appreciate it. And y'all, y'all stay safe too. So thanks. Yeah, we've had a lot of different thoughts and ideas when it comes to picking soybean seed today. And again, whether you're looking at corn seed, wheat seed, soybean seed, whatever it is, we're just always going to encourage you, spread your risk a little bit. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Plant some different maturities. Plant some things that I, I, I guess you feel pretty comfortable with, but your seed company also is comfortable with those varieties in your soil types. Look hard at not just the trait you need for herbicide tolerance, but look at the trait you need for defensive things. So iron deficiency chlorosis, cyst nematode, sudden death syndrome, and a host of other things. 
the more you can do the the more you can do that and pick the right defensive trait then the better off you are as you get into the season instead of always trying to play catch up and oh we've got this disease and oh my plant is weak and you've got one stress already building the less I mean, when you when you at least have that defensive trait, then you're hopefully in a lot better shape when some other stress that you weren't counting on pops up. For example, on our farm this year, I thought for sure, drought's going to be over. We've had drought for two and a half years going into this year. Surely we're going to be good. Nope. Another year of very dry weather. So when your plant's already under stress from one thing, you add drought to it. Now it just makes it that much worse. But Anyway, hopefully you're able to find some good seed varieties this next year. Spread your risk. That's always going to be our advice. All right, right after this, we're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag. Stay tuned. Hey, Fred, how's harvest coming? Well, got to take care of my STDs. Your what? <laughs> my soil transmitted disease. Got white mold spreading in my bean fields again. Foliar fungicides alone just aren't cutting it, and I can't seem to get rid of it. Fred, get ahead of the spread. My agronomist highly recommends Contans WG from Sipcam Agro. It's definitely your solution to control white mold at its source. Huh, thanks Joe. I'm calling my retailer today for Contans WG. In 1923, Bertar Benjamin had a vision, an all-purpose tractor that could do more. With that, the Farmall was born. This year, Case IH is celebrating 100 years of Farmall. 100 years of milestones, 100 years of innovation, passion, grit. And they're doing it through your stories. Share them at farmall100.com. One lucky storyteller will win their own farmall. The tractor that is the one for all. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long foliar disease protection from the start. Active ingredient flutriafol moves through your corn plants as they grow for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. Growers and retailers are sharing their Zyway brand fungicide success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Morton Buildings has served the American farmer for more than 120 years. From manufacturing our own building components to constructing your building, Morton takes pride in being the industry leader in post-frame construction by providing a quality building and exceptional customer service. A Morton is built to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. 
Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow legal instructions. Hey, everybody. Come on in. The Ag PhD mailbag is about to begin. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. The Ag PhD mailbag time means we're taking your calls, questions, and emails throughout the rest of the show. You can email us, radio at agphd.com. Great way to send us a soil test or a picture, something like that, or or just explain your, your situation, your question. Or you can just give us a phone call, 844-44-AG-PHD. Got an email that came in. Uh, this one is from EF, uh, who's at Michigan State University. Hey, I'm wondering if I can use your drainage simulation. Basically, we've got a, a graphic that shows how water moves through the soil and and how drainage tile uh, controls the water table. And uh, EF says, I'm working on a dynamics of phosphorus loss uh, in subsurface drain field project and just wanted to know your, or just want to let you know your picture is fantastic for that and, and if I could show that. <laughs> okay, so first of all, we are super open about sharing a lot of our information. So if you're a researcher out there, you need to make some presentation somewhere, we share most everything that we do. We don't have any big issue with that. We're trying to just educate the general public when it comes to pretty much anything, whether it's pesticides or, like in this case, drainage. My concern, though, is when you talk about phosphorus losses and phosphorus movement through drain tile, um, I, I guess I don't care what graphic you're looking at, but what I do care about is the data that you're actually generating going out for water going out of tile lines because what we find is that phosphorus doesn't get into tile lines unless you got one of two factors. Number one, if you have surface inlets, and that's the reason why we talk so much against surface inlets. We don't like them. We'd rather you have all below ground tile lines. And then the other case is if you have ridiculously high levels of phosphorus. Let's say you have phosphorus levels in the thousands of parts per million. Is it possible then that it could leach? Absolutely. We were just talking about that with Bill Brush on the show. Oh, this was probably two or three weeks ago about, well, how do you get phosphorus down in an orchard? I mean, if you're going to lay it on the soil surface, it's never going to move down a foot or two feet deep down in the orchard. And he said, well, the only way you can do it is you have to overload a small area. So, and yeah, I, I get that. But but here's the whole thing. If you're going to just make a blanket statement and say, well, tile lines are leading to issues like, for example, the algae blooms in Lake Erie, that's just simply not true. We're not finding that phosphorus is coming out of tile lines in most cases. Instead, it's really city pollution that's dumping right into Lake Erie that ca that's causing the algae issue in that particular body of water. So anyway, I, I just want to make sure that the facts are put out there and the data is correct. And as long as that's the case, yeah, I don't have any issue with anybody showing one of our pictures of how tile lines work. Thanks for the thanks for the request and and thanks for looking into that uh, issue as well. I know that's one that that many farmers are curious about too. What they can do to keep nutrients in their crop well, and wait, in their fields. Wait, okay. So now, as soon as you bring that up, then I got to add more. So if you you Darren, you're saying farmers, you're curious what to do. I'll make it super simple. You don't have soil erosion, and you don't get into the thousands of parts per million on phosphorus, and you don't have 
surface inlets, you've pretty much solved it. Phosphorus is the number one water quality issue we have in fresh water in the United States today. And if you can reduce your erosion level, you reduce off-site movement of phosphorus. Because in your top inch of soil, if you haven't placed the phosphorus deep, you may have a bunch of phosphorus in that top inch of soil. So that's really our concern. Okay. I was just in Kansas City, and I was at a, a riverboat museum for a, for a riverboat that they found like a mile out into a field. The The river had moved yeah, I've, that I've far been there. over it's many super, years. super cool. Right. But nobody's tracking how far these rivers are moving and how much soil erodes every time a river bends and the water eats into the side of that bend. You know, if there's soil in the water, that's that's where a lot of that soil comes from. It's not necessarily washing off of a field. I mean, it certainly True. could. Yeah, because our, our rivers are not lined with cement. So if you right. want to solve erosion problems in the river, you can do it real easy. Just line every single river with cement. Well, in, in, in areas that have been developed for thousands of years, you see some of those things running through towns and those kinds of things, but uh, not, not real practical. Not real practical. To no, you're over. not going to do that for the Mississippi River. So, yes, you're always going to have soil that's going to be in the river because it's flowing on soil and tearing a bunch of soil out every single year. And I don't care what you do as a human being unless you line it with cement. You're not solving that problem. So that's a little bit different, though, than, than what we're kind of getting at here. If a farmer wants to keep the nutrients in the field, you can do that very easily with nutrients like phosphorus and zinc and copper and even to some degree potassium because they don't really leach. So our, our only issue is the loss of soil. Now, on the other hand, nitrate, sure, that can leach, and that's where you have to be really careful about how and when you apply your nitrogen. All right. Let's go to the next one, Darren. All right. Uh, this one comes in from Clayton. He said, hey, guys, I was listening to you guys talk about anhydrous ammonia, and it made me think. Yep. We farm in eastern Missouri, and our soil is what is called a clay pan. It's nice silt loam soil for the first 12 or 18 inches. Then it's a tough, acidic clay. We've got a CEC of 15 on most of our ground, and I know that means we should be applying around 150 pounds of N with anhydrous at the most at one time. But my question is, since we have this clay hardpan down below, which has a higher CEC in the, in the lower horizons, can we apply more than 150 knowing that it's not going to get through that clay pan and leave our fields? Another issue that we have is we generally have waterlogged soils that could create denitrification issues, though. So just curious what your thoughts are. The goal anytime nitrogen is applied is for 100% of that to be used by your crop. If it's applied too early in the fall, you have risk for loss. If you don't plant just as the spring thaw is finishing, you have more risk for loss. If your soil is not well-drained, you have even more risk for loss. Now, adding a nitrogen stabilizer can certainly help, but it can't overcome major issues, especially when the application's made in the fall and planting won't occur until spring and possibly late spring. So while I agree that, well, having a heavy subsoil could mean potentially using a little more anhydrous safely, the other factors probably outweigh that. So honestly, if I was in your region with those conditions, I sure wouldn't get carried away in high rates of fall applied in. Now, some years it could be okay, but you're occasionally going to get caught. So if it's me, I'm just not comfortable with that risk. Uh, also, don't forget to check how much nitrogen you have left from the previous crop. Sometimes on our farm, we have over 100 pounds left after soybeans or corn, meaning instead of applying 150 pounds in your type of soil with 15 CEC, we'd probably only put on 50 pounds. Now, 
I'm not I'm going to assume this probably wasn't the answer that you're looking for, Clayton, but I will always err on the conservative side when it comes to environmental and financial risk, and when you say hey, it can get waterlogged, that's a big red flag for me. And then just knowing how, how far south you are compared to me, you'd have to put that anhydrous on very late, and you'd have to plant in the spring very early. Otherwise, we just have more risk for loss. All right, and that, that question, uh, I'm going to follow with this one. Nicholas asks, is there any paper uh, or work done on this CEC subject and soil holding capacity of 10 times the CEC for nitrogen. I haven't read anything about that. Just wondering uh, how you've come up with that number. No, we've just talked to a number of soil scientists over the years that have said they've thrown that out. I've never seen any published research on that. And that's why we always preface it by saying when we're talking cation exchange capacity and taking that number times 10 to give you a rough idea on how much nitrogen your soil can hold, that's a very rough idea. We don't know exactly what it is, and it's going to make a lot of difference how much rain you get and when you get that rain and how far in advance of applying that nitrogen you really are. Just like in Clayton's question there, I, I mean, I, I started off by saying our goal is when you put a nutrient out that 100% of it gets used by the crop. It doesn't make us any money if we throw the nitrogen out and we only get to use half of it. That's that. That's not that just doesn't make any sense. So we have to be careful about what we're doing and how we're using it. Now, on the flip side, I'm in an area that gets very little rain and we have very heavy soil. So we just don't have that much risk for loss about eight years out of 10. And it's just, okay, we got to balance this with, I want to make sure I never lose it versus um, I, I don't want to lose it um, uh, you know, occasionally. So anyway, I'd, I'd just say, yeah, nitrogen is a tough one to manage. We'll be right back. Good morning and hallelujah. Watch it. My spray and pray days are over. What's with Randy? Oh, he's just amped. <laughs> we field heaven Amped? Yeah, he ordered that new battalion amped herbicide from UPL. They're calling it the new gold standard. This is the greatest day in herbicidal history! So, how can I... Get amped? Just go to battaliamamp.com. It's gonna be a good year! Always read and follow label directions. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Get more points with the end zone from Farm Shop MFG. In a 20,000 bushel bin full of corn, gaining three points of moisture adds the equivalent of 1,000 bushels to your bottom line. Call 712-520-6051. Take your tillage to the next level with the Insight Universal Tillage Tool from McFarland Ag. With more adjustability and flexibility, the Insight is the ultimate one-pass tillage tool. Visit McFarlandAg.com to find your closest dealer. From machine storage buildings and farm shops to dependable buildings to house your livestock, regardless of building size or use, Morton has a building for every budget. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit mortonbuildings.com. The hardworking, independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example 
Talk openly and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health. Through awareness, guidance, and action, together we can uproot the stigma. Just because your combine is one brand doesn't mean its cornhead should be the same, especially when it costs you yield. Drago cornheads are engineered to harvest more. Lowest profile saves ears, self-adjusting deck plates save kernels, longer knife rollers reduce trash, and aggressive gathering chains pick up stocks. No other cornhead works like a Drago or pays you back like one. Get the best deals of the season through December 15th. Learn more at DragoOffers.com. Because the challenges you face are getting bigger every year, BASF is committed to helping with more than boots on the ground. We're committed to boots in the mud, boots on the steps of your truck, your tractor, your combine, the linoleum tiles of your coffee shop, the concrete of your co-op, the gravel in your shed. So we can listen, learn firsthand, help right now to ensure success. BASF, helping you do the biggest job on earth. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We are in the Ag PhD mailbag time right now, taking your calls and agronomic questions throughout the rest of the show. Our mailbag is open, radio at agphd.com, and our phone lines are open to 844-44-AG-PHD. This one from Steve over in Wisconsin. He said, our meadow is loaded with water hemp in the soybeans. Do you have any suggestions for us to try to eradicate this difficult weed? Okay, so here's how I read that question. When he says the meadow in the soybeans, I'm assuming he means grass waterway going through the field. What do you think? Could be. Okay, let's just let's start there. If that's the case, then I would plant either extend flex or enlist soybeans. If I'm planting extend flex soybeans, I just sprayed dicamba in the waterway. If I planted enlist soybeans, I would spray the 2,4-D, like Freelex or Enlist 1, in the waterway, and you're good. That'll solve the problem. So, pretty simple. If we're just talking the field is a meadow, well, that's the same thing. I'd use Dicamba or uh, uh, that's your post-emerge, Enlist but, 1, but yeah, I, and I pre-emerge. Start. Yeah, pre-emerge, I'd start with the three pre's, for sure. So, that's a yellow, like Trifluralin or Prowl. I'd use Metribuzin in addition to that. And the third component would be either authority or valor. You get those three things out there pre-emerge in your soybeans. That's going to solve most of your problem. And then post-emerge, you got plenty of options. Yeah, it is a it is an annual weed. If we can stop it from going to seed, that's going to make a big difference going forward. The challenge is if it gets to seed, those seeds are going to be tough to fight here for the next few years. But the good thing with water hemp, it's not one that we see stick around for 20 years. It's one where most of those seeds that were produced this year are going to germinate in the next year or two or maybe three. So if you did have a problem, you're going to be fighting it for a little while, but not necessarily forever. Hey, I had this question come in from Dieter, and he's asking about what farmers in North America do to manage residue. He said, just curious, are you using a mulcher or some sort of chopper to handle corn residues, or what types of things do you do to help improve breakdown? It seems like every farmer does something a little bit different. Our advice when there's corn, and we're talking 200 plus bushel corn, is to use a chopping corn head. 
back in, I'll call them the old days, we used to run a stock chopper, but it's way easier if you're going right as you're combining, so you haven't smashed anything down first, where you chop up that residue immediately. Then it's done, that residue's opened up, it breaks down a lot faster, so that's number one. On our farm, we like doing at least a little bit of tillage, basically strip till, which is great because you just throw a little bit of dirt out there, get some enzymes out, get stuff breaking down faster, or we apply a lot of manure and that's where we have to do more full tillage. Obviously, tillage is going to break that residue down faster. Let's say you wanted to stay complete no-till. How would you do it? Again, I'd still chop that residue up, um, so use a chopping corn head, and then I'd make sure I have good levels of nitrogen and sulfur sprayed on in the fall, and I would use a natural product. There are a few biological, or as we call them, natural products that will help speed up that residue breakdown. You just want to get those biologicals on as early as possible in the fall so they have time to get heat before you hit winter. Hey, thanks for the question, Dieter. Thanks for checking out our show, too. Really appreciate that. Got this one that came from Diego down in Argentina, and he said, guys, I was talking with the principal of a local agronomy university, and he told me they've got students that are having a hard time finding a job, uh, agronomy students. So I decided I'd try and help them out. I'm looking for more ideas of what they could do to help these students find jobs. My first idea was maybe they can just come to my farm and help help <laughs> no, grow my crops. Say. I agree, Diego. If you've got room for uh, more people in your operation, having agronomy <laughs> students out there would be a wonderful thing. And, you know, that's that's the big thing, Brian, that I look at when whenever you're going to school for anything. You need to understand, okay, how much is it going to cost me to get this certain degree? Where am I going to find employment and how much am I going to make with that employment? And in our country, there are some really low-paying jobs that we see students going to very expensive universities, and there's just no way they're going to be able to pay that loan back. We, we just need a little coaching up front. So I love the, love the question, Diego. Agronomy in our country, oh, man, there are not enough agronomists out there. It seems like almost every seed company, equipment company, uh, Right. They're hired retailer, immediately, and they make they, really good money. Yeah, they're, they're looking for them fast. So... Uh, that that's where I would look anything that has to do with farming, whether it's equipment or, or anything. Many of those companies are looking for agronomists because they want someone that can connect with the farmer and help them uh, take whatever product that they're promoting and show them how to get a return on investment. Now, Darren, I loved your answer, how somebody, before they go to school, they need to figure out, well, what do they want to do? What's it going to pay? What's the cost of the school? And look at it like return on investment. The only problem is most people, when they go to college, have no idea what they're going to do. Or if they think they know what they're going to do, they often change. So it's a real, real challenge. But I, let's let's just kind of set that aside for a second because I'm not going to fault anybody for well, changing think, careers at any point. I think that's a big deal. But, I also think even if you just look at, okay, what kind of lifestyle do I want to live? And if you say, well, I want to live in a rural <laughs> area, okay, what are the jobs that can help that rural area the most? Yep. And you go to school for those. Yep. When you're 17 or 18 years old, it's hard to make those decisions and it's hard to know what you want to do, where you want to live, anything else. And you know what I found, Darren? Um, all of a sudden, you meet your future spouse and all those things kind of go out the window. And it's like, well, I don't really care. I'm moving to wherever. I'll move to the center of town. I don't, it doesn't matter to me as long as I get to be with this person. So anyway, setting all that stuff aside, I want to come back to this whole agronomy thing. So 
I don't care what country we're talking about, whether we're in South America, North America, anywhere around the world, we know that the future of crop production is going to become more challenging because there are more regulations all the time and a lot of farmers need help understanding all the regulations, all the rules that they got to follow. And then on top of that, how are they going to raise more crop? Because the food, the world needs more food and the world wants more nutritious food. So I'm just simply saying there's a lot to this, whether it's here in the United States or anywhere. And we do think that there is a tremendous amount of opportunity for people getting involved in agriculture in the future. So, yeah, I don't know exactly what the answers are in your country, but I just know, like Darren said, here in our country, oh, my goodness, there there's so much help that we need in agriculture. And just about anybody going into agronomy is hired immediately right out of school. All right. Thanks for the for the question, Diego. And by the way, I've seen pictures of Diego's farm. I think if I was an agronomy student and I was looking for some work, that'd be a great place to go. It looks like a, looks like a fun place to, to grow and learn and, and live. I get this question that came in from Patrick, who's over in Zambia. And he said, you guys were talking about burning ditches and uh, potentially even burning residue out in the field. There are small scale farmers that are doing this uh, quite often as a practice here in Zambia. Uh, but some of the NGOs, the non-governmental organizations here, are discouraging it because they're concerned about nutrient loss and green gas emissions. Uh, you know, Patrick, I, I'd say the same thing here. We don't want to have the nutrient loss either. We we It's a last resort if we were going to do some burning out in a field. And normally that would be there was a big storm that blew a bunch of trees down or a flood that washed all the crop residue. And it's now four feet deep and uh, a couple hundred feet wide at the end of a field, that kind of thing, if we were going to be burning in fields. Burning ditches, a little bit different. Um you know, yes, you're right, though. If you're burning, you're going to have some nutrient loss, no doubt. Okay, so here is what some research has shown in the past. You're going to lose almost 100% of the nitrogen out of that residue. You lose about 25% of the phosphorus, about 35% of the potassium, and about 75% of the sulfur. And this is the number one reason why we always say if there's an alternative to burning residue, that's great. Now, I, I would say I do find this kind of interesting in terms of the greenhouse gases, which still we can, I am not trying to make this into a political thing, but we can debate how big a deal that is for our planet or not. But I just know this, if you're going to die because you don't have enough food, it doesn't really matter what's happening to the planet, if you understand what I'm saying here. So you got to figure out a way and and hopefully you can figure out a way to raise more crop without having to burn that residue off. So personally, we love having residue around. It helps hold our soil in place. And over time, those nutrients do come available for the next crop. So we're usually trying to figure out some way we can do it without burning residue. But yeah, the number one priority in your country, obviously, is we got to have food and we got to have it now. Thanks for the feedback, Patrick. Thanks for checking out our program as well. We really appreciate that. Thanks for listening to today's program. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio. And now stay tuned for Rob Sharkey and Shark Farmer Radio. <laughs>